Welcome to What's the Word Downtown, a weekly podcast dedicated to mining the depth of the word, a word that's sharp and active in downtown Tyler, Texas. Join Eric, Matt, and Mike as we get the word out at Bethel. Hey, welcome back to episode two of What's the Word Downtown. Lauren, good to have you again. Good to be back. Been a good week. Let me tell you. I've been drinking that Guatemala all oh week. And what do you have for us today, man? These look Another delicious. cup of Guatemala, oh, that's yeah. for sure. Come on. <laughs> I can't get enough of this. Right on. Uh, but today, mm-hmm. uh, we, we decided to bring some food. Pretty pumped about it. They are, and roll with me here. I'm going to. Roll with me. They I'm are rolling. gluten-free and vegan snickerdoodles. And I promise you cannot tell. Gluten-free uh-huh. and vegan. I know. Now, I, somebody gave me a uh, black bean brownie oh, the other day, and I said to myself, so wait, I was going to say, this is disgusting. I don't what? want this at all. Wait, did you get, you guys don't do black brownies down here, though. Black no, bean not brownies. here. No, no, no. But I have had one Okay, before. let's never put black bean brownies <laughs> on the menu down here, just for what it's worth. But this snickerdoodle, yes. vegan mm-hmm. and gluten-free, yep. and you brought four of them. Yeah. Which means it's like eating. Well, I figured I'd have some for Eric when he comes up in a minute. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. And look at this thing. Who's making these? That now. These are our foundry kitchen. So Aria is making these. This is her recipe. She pitched them a few weeks ago. Oh man! And yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. It's good to break bread with you. Mm. It's good to break the snickerdoodle with you. Oh man! Can we get audio of us chewing this and all of our real close? Bones? You know, my kids love that. As, mm-hmm. What do they call it? ASMR mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. where they get the microphone super close. Oh, yeah. Skeeves me out, man. Yeah, it's a really hear the strange, <laughs> strange thing. I don't know why these kids are into this. Somebody know. can tell me. Yeah, that's not information I have. Oh, but I really want to hear it. So we have these mm. downtown mm-hmm. uh, at the Foundry yep. all the time. Snicker. This is a staple now at the mm-hmm. Foundry. Oh yeah, man, it's delicious. Yeah. Good job, Aria. I know she's killing it. So yeah, once once she brought these and put them on the menu, it was no question. Yeah, they're here. Got to. Here and to then stay. and then we got some new merch coming, right? Oh man, we got a lot of new merch coming, right? We've got some hats coming in, a couple different colorways, as well mm-hmm. as some beanies, which I'm very excited about, with a little leather patch on them. So, it'll be good. I dig it. Yeah, we're really That's excited great. about it. Right on, man. Well, yeah. I'm excited about mm. this. I'm going to keep eating this. Mm. Let's see if we I can had get... A l- t- t- oh, t- well, t- one more little bit of merch yeah, yeah, I totally yeah. forgot about. Yeah. Um, we now actually carry loose leaf tea by the box. Uh, really? So, no one's apparently doing that around here. And uh, our supplier, Hugo, uh, just released these new beautiful boxes. So we got our first shipment in on Friday. Loose leaf tea by the box. Was there like 12 or 10 or 12 in each one? Or is it... Oh, it's just a, just a box of loose leaf bo- tea. Oh, I see. So you're yeah. making your own little bag in there. Yeah. And it, it's very high-end. You can you get 20 probably cups of tea out of it. It's, it's a good amount. I'm way and into that. Delicious. Where's Hugo coming from? I don't remember. I love Honestly. to ask you questions on camera yeah. that you don't know the answer yeah, to. That's no, a great. That's, I'll uh, find that out. Real nice. I'll yeah. bring that information to you later. next week. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Hugo? <laughs> All right, Lauren. Thanks cool. for hanging out, hey, man. Thanks for having me. The Snickerdoodle rocks. I'm glad. Aria, you're the best. Mm. Hey guys, we're back with Pastor Mike Hall, and uh, you forgot socks today. No, so it's uh, we've just had this conversation before the camera <laughs> before we started. There's not a good way for me to sit and look normal here. The chair's a little low for me. This cross leg thing that you do is it's worship artsy that I can't worship handle. Worship artsy, yeah. I and got so it. I'm there gonna you go. go with this. I'm gonna show a little bit of skin of ankle. Like I apologize if it causes like you to that. stumble. Hey, thanks for coming on today to the show, man. This is a big deal for you. This is it? I mean, it seems. 
<laughs> you know we're going to have a good time, me and Mike. All right. So what's happening, man? What, what, you were telling us about some stuff yesterday morning. Uh, so the survey. Yeah. Here, here's the thing that I'm excited about. Um, and we've talked about it some on Sunday. Mm-hmm. A bunch of people have responded to it. Uh, and my whole bit, I don't care tons about, oh, the, the data. What I really care about, uh, I think a lot of people care about mm-hmm. here at Bethel, is that people are giving their life away and in moving in that direction, yielding to the spirit, to what God's doing in their life, whatever that looks like. And so you're, you're staring off like you're bored. Right well, I'm now. thinking about what you're saying. And I'm thinking about it's, it's important uh, that, that Christians value community, that Christians value yeah. engagement because you say to give your life away, which doesn't sound so fun, but in the end, yeah. at the same time you're giving your life away, you're receiving abundant life connected to the body. So that wasn't just staring off. I was really thinking about what you said, and that's why the survey matters. Right. Well, and that's, yeah, right. As Jesus says, that's where you find life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and filling out a survey is not the place to find life. Right. Uh, that seems like death. But right? it was quick, man. I did it even. 90 seconds. That's yeah, what and it was hard not to put in some erroneous stuff just to jack with you, but Joe I didn't. appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, because <laughs> here, here's the thing. Most churches across the United States, they measure, right, how many yeah. people show up and how much money do they Sure. You know, give. And really, the money factor is survival or or a uh, vanity stat to mm-hmm. say, look at how awesome we are. And really, both stats are sure. um, of people showing up on Sunday morning. Now, with online church, a lot of people are measuring that, which, again, is a vanity stat. of mm-hmm. We've got so many likes, which doesn't mean anything, right? Um, so in talking about this, we had to decide, hey, what are the things that we'd want to measure? Knowing that if we ask a question, we're going to measure something our attention will be drawn to that and we'll end up just by default putting some more attention and resources and mind share to those things. Mm-hmm. So in that, the thought was, okay, what's what's really important here uh, for the members at Bethel? And it's to what you're saying. It's, mm-hmm. I'm going to say engagement. It's a community. It's being connected with the body. It's serving the body. It's serving outside of the church. Mm-hmm. But it's a bit of getting your hands, I'm going to say, dirty spiritually and in service. And, sure. and, and then... Are you reading scripture? Are you open to what the Lord's doing? So here's the the scary part. Not scary, that might be an overstatement, but the thing that makes me uh, pause when we do something like this mm-hmm. is that it might communicate, hey, we have figured out how to quantify what the Spirit is doing. We're watching you. <laughs> right. We're the big brother, yes. right? Yes. And that there's this whole unseen world that for us to try to put metrics to is ridiculous, but... The hope is in doing this, um, we get to see both corporately and personally where we are mm-hmm. and then simply ask the question, is this working? Mm-hmm. And if so, great. And if not, okay, that's not a big deal, but what do we need to do differently? So for on an individual level, for someone who says, you know what, I'm a member at Bethel and I'm not involved in a life group or a Bible study and I'm not connected with really anybody in any other kind of group and um, I don't give anything to the church mm-hmm. and I'm not involved in missions and haven't served. Um, that would warrant a conversation to say, sure. "Hey, are you okay? Sure. Well, can, is there something we could help?" To well, do? and I'm also, th- and I'm also thinking, Mike. You know, when we, when this COVID thing started, we said, "Well, we got to press pause on nearly everything, right?" And the, or not pause, but we have to shift, right, to make an allowance for folks who aren't able to come to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, in even even where maybe some things seem to ease, there's still people that are. We got to know how to pastor, how to just sort of look into what's actually going on and then respond in kind for the benefit of the community. Right. Yeah. The COVID thing is yes. it's 
jacked us all up to figure out sure. how do we how do you do church when you can't mm-hmm. show up and mm-hmm. and now as as we're hopefully able to start doing more stuff and coming back and that'll change but yeah so i'm excited i think at the end of it all it's gone out once will you send it out again uh we will send it out again probably today or tomorrow got about half the church that filled it out the first time through yeah yeah i'm assuming i'm assuming we have some spam folders and some wrong emails as well so we'll send another reminder out tomorrow and then we'll actually i mean because we want every member to fill this out sure so eventually we'll get on the phone and start calling people and say hey i'm going to ask you these eight questions uh, so make our lives easier and fill out the survey. That's right. right. That's it. Hey. Thanks for coming on, bro. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Eric, welcome back, brother. Thank you. Week Glad two, to be back. Ephesians. Sophomore session. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. We got the right. greeting looked at last week. This now is the cosmic hugeness right. of uh, of Christ's sort of sitting down in earth, sitting down in our hearts, sitting down in our consciousness, uh, giving us a new economy. I heard a lot of inclusionary language, as you said, in Christ is 27 times. But you started out by saying three, uh, you, you, you looked at the Trinity and you said that the Father does one thing, the Son does another, and the Holy Spirit does a third thing. Trying to wrap us up in the knowledge of what we have, the knowledge and uh, the reality. It's not just sort of head knowledge. It's also uh, physical. Uh, it, 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 let's start again. I don't know, man. What I was like, I was really going for it, and then I and then I said, "Am I spinning my wheels?" No, no, no. We're not going to start again. We're gonna we're gonna hang in there. What does the Father do? The Son do? And and the Spirit do? Well. For starters, it's such a massive passage because it's an entire passage. Those verses, those 11 verses are all one idea, one massive notion. Recently, when I say recently, I, I, like the last couple hundred years, think of that passage like a butterfly that is intended to actually fly and be beautiful. But what we have done is we've tended to slice off every little bit of the butterfly and tack it to the board to study, which is important, Mm -hmm. but we have forgotten to put the butterfly back together and to watch it fly. Mm. So we'll use one of those verses or one of those expressions to try to defend or prop up our own position on a particular doctrine, Mm -hmm. which is not what Paul was doing. He was saying the enormity of the Godhead brought to bear for the, the simplicity of a single soul. So the Father selects in eternity past. The Son sacrifices. So there's eternity in history. There's world history where the Son sacrificed at some point in history, 2,000 years ago. And then at some personal history, the Spirit seals. So the Father selects, the Son sacrifices, the Spirit seals. Or another way to outline it, the Father in eternity past had a purpose, the Son made provision, and the Spirit gives us pledge. So mm. the, the, the butterfly fully assembled is glorious as it flies. It's mm. wonderful. Now you can look at the wing or the stem and say, oh, that's pretty cool. Let's really obsess and focus in on the doctrine of predestination, which is important. And Paul taught on that frequently. But this passage, this text is about the enormity of the Godhead coming to save a single human soul, which he should not do but it's amazing grace. And so I think as Paul is sitting in prison in Rome, thinking about these people in Ephesus, 
and the center of worldliness, look what great God did to go and fetch them. Mm. It's incredible. Yeah, and, you know, every one of us in some way in our life was like Paul in a prison of our own making. <laughs> yeah. A prison of our own, not that Paul was in a prison of his own making, but he was in a prison. He was chained. He was not free. And yet he's speaking about the thing that can free us beyond. Eternally. eternally. I mean, uh, and, and so the question is, and, and I, maybe I'll be able to put together a question, but I really just like to think and talk out loud a little bit. I uh, call that a sermon. A sermon, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the idea that being that... Um, once I know, once I have, once I am receive the knowledge of Christ, I can't not know it. I can't not know it. And retroactively, I realize that's something like being predestined. That's something like in the sovereignty of God, he always knew that he would deliver to me the knowledge of salvation in Christ at the time when I realized I needed saving. And then once saved, you know, once saved, always saved. It's not that, but it's this sense of like, I can't get away from the love of God in Christ because it's within me now. It's within me now. It's within me now. Mm-hmm. And there's something, uh, you know, I got, I got a, somebody said, somebody sent me a question. Or one, one of the, uh, one of our congregants sent me a question this morning saying, uh, saying, uh, how does, or does our prayer factor in when we are praying for the salvation of the unsaved? And one of the things that, just to jump right into this, one of the one of the things that makes this a tricky passage is that eternally heavy word predestination. Yeah. I mean, that just makes how many? I want to I don't want to say pointless conversations, but how many circular conversations have you been in where someone's trying to get down to the bottom of what predestination means, and does it lead to hope for the yet to believe? Or does it lead to some sort of fatalistic sense of like, there's just a lot of people are just left out of the camp? It's a great question. The issue that we have had historically, and I mean for centuries and centuries, with the idea of predestination Mm -hmm. is that we like to put ourselves in the center of the circle, Mm -hmm. meaning that it's all about me. We are egocentric. We are ethnocentric. It's about me. It's about my group. And so predestination means that either I'm in and those that I care about are in or I'm out and those that I don't care about are out or maybe they're in and however that works. It's never, ever the thrust of what Paul's talking about. Predestination is really not about us. Predestination is telling us something awesome and enormous about God, that he's the kind of God who doesn't experience the succession of moments like Artemis does, theoretically, if she existed, who has to react and respond to what human beings do. And maybe you can buy her off. Maybe you can appease her with this. No, no. The whole concept of predestination is setting us up for this mind-blowing cosmic reality that God exists in the eternal now. So rather than focus on what does God do in this time frame, in this succession of moments, it's to go, wait a second, God does not experience the succession of moments. He exists outside of time. And yet, because he's also love, he entered into our time-space continuum. But he sees the creation of the world and the second coming of Christ and the cross and my crisis all through one windshield, all at once. And that's what we root our security and our safety and our, our blessedness is that's the kind of God that he is and we're saved. 
So to think, well, what role does prayer have? Yes, the greatest tool, we might say, in evangelism is not giving a winsome articulation of the Roman road. It is praying. God, would this be true of them as it is for me? Would you do for them what you have done for me? And we don't understand that in the eternal now that God experiences, somehow, mysteriously, that prayer has impact and influence, which is incredible. Well, in the eternal now, uh, just what you said, the, the eternal now is it, that God experiences, we're invited into. Right. Vis-a-vis -vis the, the mediating work, uh, the provision, if you will, of the cross of Christ. And that, that we can know God's presence eternally, but also eternally now. Eternally now. Exactly. It's amazing. It's almost, if I can be really, really dangerously close to Eastern mysticism, <laughs> it is the Zen of Zens. Mm. We really are connected with the almighty, divine, and eternal now. We're not trying to achieve nothingness. We have everythingness when I, when in God. I, when I talk about it, I think about the succession of moments or the timeline of your life, right? And wherever you are in the now is a cross. Yeah. <laughs> that is, the cross follows you because God's presence, no matter where you are in the succession of your moments, he has already entered in and enters in now, creating the sense of uh, horizontal and vertical made one. Yeah. That is the, the God of the universe sitting right down in my fleshy, the muck and mire of my existence. It's all about intersections, which reminds me of gluten-free and vegan. Yeah, get it's after a great one of those intersection. Cookies. I'm going to... I had taken some notes yesterday. I wanted to talk to you about... Uh, the, our circumstances versus eternal reality. So mm -hmm. we kind of looked at that. The Father selects us to be holy and blameless in love. That we are selected to be holy and blameless. And because the Father selects and the Son what provides, sac because the, Father, the Son sacrifices, we are invited into the holy and blameless life of Christ that is without end. Uh, because that's what... Christ did for us, it's really shocking that that's, in a sense, in a limited capacity, that's what we are to be to others. You know, it's really cool. The, the story that Paul, I think, has in his mind as he's referencing and writing Ephesians 1, I think what Paul has in his mind as Saul of Tarsus has been knocked off his horse and gotten back up, the Apostle Paul, all the scripture, all the story from the Old Testament now crystallizes and galvanizes and he understands oh my goodness it was always pointing to and preparing for jesus i think as paul writes ephesians 1 3 to 14 the language that he, that he uses the the cast of characters that he mentions it's very much genesis 6. Hmm. it's the flood narrative hmm. in the story of noah and the ark and we love to tell the children's story of noah and the ark which is actually a horrifying story when you consider all the, you know, dead people who drown, who are floating mm -hmm. outside the ark, clawing and scratching it in, it's terrible. Yeah, that was one of the most stirring moments in the Aronofsky. Oh, yeah. Uh, Noah, if you guys have seen the film. Gripping. Very gripping. Very upsetting. But the language of Genesis Noah 6. Noah can't let anybody else in. He can't. Yeah. In the story of Genesis 6, how are the animals brought into the ark? Well, we could say it was of their own free will. Okay? But they're led. They're called. And they guide in. 
The animals go in. It's not Noah that seals the ark. The text is very precise. It is God who seals the ark. And when God seals the ark, how many of the animals escape and die? Not a one. Not one. Not a one. Okay. And so what we're seeing the New Testament come along and say is, Jesus is the ark. Mm. When we are sealed in him, God seals the ark just like God seals us in him. We're the ark. None, none escape. The waters come, judgment up, occurs, and we're let back down to now go and be fruitful and multiply. Mm. And so what Paul is essentially saying is here, in Christ, we're sealed. God seals us by his spirit. And now we are to be holy and blameless. In a sense, Christians are supposed to be little arks that go about the world calling people in, not with guilt and shame and vigor and all sorts of animosity and hatred and mean speech, but saying, this is the goodness. There's a, there's a sense that keeps up the, that, that Christians have the provision of safe passage. Mm -hmm. That is to say, you, it, it, a life in Christ is not absent suffering. Mm-hmm but it's the presence of peace through the suffering. And Absolutely. we are the ark. In Christ, we are the ark. Jump on board. The only way the Apostle Paul was able to do and say what he did is because he uniquely, whatever this means, was transported to the third heaven and saw somehow the glory of God. And he said, I'm not even permitted to talk about it. But it was that proximity, that relationship, that essentially fueled and energized all that he went through. He was the greatest travel agent ever. <laughs> Paul? Paul! Yeah. He said, listen, I've been there, I've seen it, you've got to come. You talked about that, that predestination is the determination by God of our horizon. Yeah. That is um, the thing, basically, we know that from uh, uh, Lot's wife, right? Uh, if you turn back, yeah. your life is going to become fragmented. Yeah. We have to be a people who look forward. Mm -hmm. But the but these are t days where looking forward doesn't necessarily provide us much relief. It seems like as soon as uh, the, as soon as the surge starts to go down, oh, there's a mutant strain. I mean, if you watch the news, <laughs> right. it, to look forward is to look into the abyss. Right. But what we're saying is, what you're saying, what Paul is saying, what Christ's offer includes for us is not only safe passage, but safe passage to a horizon that's better than we can imagine. Absolutely. There is almost the sense of look around, look forward, and look forwarder mm -hmm. because you can also look back. Again, eternity past. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is how cosmic our salvation mm -hmm. is. What happened in eternity past ought to encourage and equip us for eternity future, mm -hmm. which enables us then to live very diligently and intentionally in the present now. Well, and to live in the present now with a with a future hope is to be changed. Remember what you said. Absolutely. That to, to what you believe about your future changes you. What you think about a God when you what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. You've said as you look forward to the promise uh, of Christ returning, something happens within you now where He's made more manifest somehow. He is, and, and that's great for me, that's great for you, but imagine, which we shouldn't have to imagine, but we sometimes do, <laughs> sure. a whole group of people mm -hmm. who are living like that, who are looking at the world like that, who are loving in the world like that. That's sort of the call of the church, which is why we say all the time, the local church is the hope of the world. Mm -hmm. 
not just, hey, it's what is going to save the world. That's true. But the local church is the hope, the the picture, the glimpse, and the glimmer of what the world will one day look like mm-hmm. is the people who come together despite all the other stories of brokenness and tragedy mm-hmm. and failure and error and confusion are being changed because of what happened in eternity past, what will be in eternity future, live lives of good saltiness, not like Mrs. Lot, real good saltiness in the present here and now. The local church really is to be the hope of the world. And unfortunately, and it's 2021, so much of what the local church is characterized by is anything but hope. It's anything but the travel brochure of the coming kingdom. Well, and you and I have discussed this. It's not the only way, but the normative path to Christian sanctification includes the church. Sure. And it also includes marriage. <laughs> and that, I mean, yeah. that's truly, I mean, Megan sure. and I have said to one another uh, of late, it seems like the abiding testimony of our lives will be that we stayed together, that we forgave one another, that, you know, and, and yeah. that what if that is not the the testimony of so many like you said it's not the only yeah. way but it's a but it is a normative path uh in in intended by Christ to help us have daily experiences of safe passage even through the muck and mire that yeah. that makes up many a marriage i don't want to derail us there but i think that's important this is the hope that causes me to uh uh, uh harness what has been done for me vertically and bend it out horizontally towards my wife and to that end b- bend it out in, in the ch- in my in our church and and with the people who stay together that continue to gather together yeah well there's a reason we're not raptured immediately into God's presence the moment we believe mm. it's because he has a purpose for us even here now as we live and it's kind of the old adage the Michelangelo carving the David. Sure. He just took away that which was not David. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, that's a tired old sermon mm-hmm. illustration. Mm-hmm. But what we find is it gets really practical is when we find that one of the chisels in Michelangelo's hand is my spouse. Mm-hmm. And God's using my spouse, sometimes mm-hmm. my kids, sometimes my friends, my coworkers, mm-hmm. my neighbors, as chisels that are taking away chunks. And I resist the chisel. I have a better idea of who you are, Eric, than you do. Right. And, and I, certainly yeah. higher than what you're living into, mm-hmm. hypothetically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned David, and I, I you, you also talked about the substitutionary atonement that occurs in the valley where David goes down to take on, uh, what was that giant, Goliath. dead giant's name? Yeah, Goliath. What yeah, and, and he doesn't use the, he doesn't use the, uh, uh, the armor, the armor, uh, Incidentally, I was telling you a little bit about the the new Wonder Woman movie, and they do a thing in there where she's got the armor, but she can't fight it all. She's got to take it off. Got to be who she is. Got to be who she is. And that's what David says. All I need is the rocks and mm-hmm. and, the, and the slingshot. But but really, more to the point, what happens to David happens to the Israelites. What right. happens to to uh, Goliath happens to the Philistines. So now we have this substitutionary atonement playing out in First Samuel, Second Samuel, mm-hmm. I forget. But but really. That's a that's a, a foreshadow or or, or, or or future past echo. How am I? I'm not saying it future, right. Yeah, future a echo. Future echo of Christ's substitutionary atonement. That when he went down into the valley of the shadow of death and allowed himself to be overcome by the cross, by by death, but then rises. We rise with him. Uh, yeah. 
the crazy thing about the gospel story is that what we see in Christ at the cross is, on the one hand, he throws the stone of judgment. Mm -hmm. And on the, other on the other hand, he receives the stone of judgment. He becomes Goliath. Mm. He becomes the recipient of the pronounced judgment and curse. He throws the stone. He receives the stone. Yeah, and the, and the Goliath of his age, Barnabas, gets to go free. Right? Barabbas. Yeah. Barabbas, Barabbas, yeah. right? Right. Absolutely. He's, he's a murderer. He's a killer. Barabbas, yeah. son of man. Mm. That's us. We deserve it. We do it every Good Friday. It should have been me. Mm -hmm. That's us. Mm -hmm. It should have been. So, so th then the final thing I really wanted to talk about today, you used this great word, economia. Mm -hmm. And we talked about, you talked a little bit about the earth-shaking uh, significance of what Paul is saying and how, it, how Christ is the introduction of a new economia. Right. A new age in which... Things operate and are administered a little bit differently than previously. Salvation is always by grace through faith in Christ alone, always. But in the church age, there are these Gentiles, as well as Jews, that walk around in, they're supposed to anyway, in utter, complete security. Hmm. We found psychologically, uh, sociologically, people's behavior changes remarkably, if they feel secure. Yes. And if they don't feel secure, it changes everything. Well, what the good news of the gospel brings practically is the utter security that it says, in this age, you are indwelled by God, permanently sealed forever. And that's why Paul is so intentional to repeat himself by saying, in him, you were sealed. In him, you are sealed. And so the, the question is asked all the time, can a believer lose his salvation? Absolutely. Just as soon as Jesus can sin and stop being God. That's the only way because you are sealed in him and he's in the Father and the Father is in the Spirit and the Spirit is in the Son. We are literally, from the spiritual perspective, sealed by God, not by us, in Christ, in the Spirit. What would a group of people who had that level of actual eternal security, how much more willing would they be to lay down their lives? Or maybe even worse? to suffer inconvenience, or maybe even worse, have a conversation with someone they might not ordinarily have a conversation with, or maybe even worse, agree to not get their way mm -hmm. and to let someone else have their say. A person who is truly enjoying eternal security, that's what this age is supposed to be characterized mm -hmm. by. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, French, Aggie, whatever, eternally secure that changes the world yeah and every day there's a it's ne it's necessary for a radical reorientation to that mm -hmm. new kingdom economia mm -hmm. uh and i remember i was I forget, forget matt uh what was the guy matt you see who's um preached downtown so matt uh, what was his name no i, I forget anyway I, i'm always trying to give you know uh credit Matt Lance. Matt Lance. Hey, he said, oh, Matt, Matt Lance. Lance. Said, he said, you can't control your first thought oh. of the day. Let God have your second thought. And I, I often think about that, you know, because you wake up, you open your eyes, and it, whether it's your, your back hurting or the thing you have to do today that you didn't want to do, typically the heaviest thing weighs down on you first part of the day. Right. And the, to do battle 
with that is something like a radical reorientation, no longer being conformed, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to preach to yourself. These are things we have to preach to ourselves, eh? We do. And that was the whole idea of Sunday's message that God loves me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're right. We can't control the first thought of the day, but the second thought is when the slings and arrows of the world, the flesh, and the devil will barrage and assault and say, you're not lovable, you're not worth it, you have screwed up, and all that stuff is correct. But to be able to take captive and go, wait, that's all true, and yet God loves me and I'm secure. Mm -hmm. All that stuff now matters not, and to live a life of dangerous impact and influence that's the message of the gospel. It doesn't just save us, but it unleashes us to leave, live kingdom lives now. Mm-hmm. And that's what this world needs. Yeah. So, yeah, second thought of the day, wait a minute. No matter what all stresses and pressures and fears and anxieties I have before me, no matter what happened yesterday, God loves me and I am secure. I can't tell you how many Christians I know, one of which is on this podcast talking to you right now, yeah. that have a tendency to allow our Christian life to deteriorate down to oh god i'm sorry about last night well here we go (laughs) that's a terrible way to live that's not the power of the gospel and so we have to take Mm -hmm. captive that error and go god loves me i'm secure he's for me this day is the day that he has made and i will rejoice and be glad in it because what the world needs now is love i mean this is burt Bacharach. come on burt Bacharach. i mean a bow tie that size, you can't be wrong. Ah, true. I mean, And on that note, what do we got next week? Next week, we finish Ephesians chapter 1, Lord willing, verses 15 to 23. It's Paul saying, in light of everything I've just told you about who you are because of what God has done, here's my prayer for you. Yeah. That you would actually receive that and live that out. It's a great, great text. Good. We're looking forward to it. 10 a.m., Sunday morning, right here on the third floor, 202 Broadway. And on the second floor. And on the second floor. And on the first, if you stop for coffee and one of those snickerdoodles. Maybe even remotely with your own snickerdoodle. Yes. We'll see you then, okay, guys? Thanks for hanging out.